0: Teaching simultaneously online and in person requires a unique approach, different from just the combination of the two. Here at Georgetown, we call it concurrent hybrid teaching. And if you'll join us on using that language, years from now, you can tell your great-great-grandchildren, yeah, I was a bit of a spark plug back then. Remember, concurrent hybrid teaching. No matter what you call it, in this episode you'll find best practices and handy advice for teaching in-person and remote students together from a Georgetown classroom.
1: Welcome to What We're Learning About Learning, a podcast about higher ed teaching and learning created and produced by the Center for New Designs in Learning and Scholarship, also known as CANDLES, at Georgetown University. I'm Kim Heisman-Lebreski.
0: And I'm Joe King. For this episode, we talked with three faculty with lots of wisdom to share about their experiences teaching in a concurrent hybrid classroom. We wanted to know how they prepared, how they delivered, and how they problem solved when challenges arose, as they inevitably do. Their experiences run the gamut, from a small graduate seminar to undergraduate classes of 150 students.
1: We'll begin with Mimi Cook, who teaches classes ranging from 25 to 45 students in the Disability Studies program at Georgetown. She was in person last semester, but implemented a concurrent hybrid model from the start to offer students flexibility.
2: I knew nothing about what the technology was in the classroom. And so I actually, um, I got one of those emails like, if you need help, email us, from tech people. So I actually scheduled an appointment the day before classes started so I could visit my classroom and look at it. And then they actually within like 10 minutes walked me through the tech. And from my understanding, each classroom is equipped uh, now with lots of cool tech to help with hybrid. And so in my classroom, there was two cameras um, that are integrated into the computer system there. And then Zoom is also integrated. So basically if I opened Zoom, it would, Uh, engage the two cameras in my classroom and I could have them point either at the students or at me. And there was a mic, a central mic in the classroom that could pick up all the students. And so I just opened a Zoom link at the beginning of every class. And so students could choose to attend in person or attend via Zoom. Um, And if they attended via Zoom, they usually could hear the discussion in class. I was impressed with the way the mic could pick up the discussion.
0: We also spoke with Shannon Mooney, a staff data scientist at Georgetown, who teaches in the master's program in learning design and technology at Georgetown. In order to prepare to teach in a concurrent hybrid format, Shannon partnered with both her TA, Alex Chuganova, who was a graduate student in the linguistics program at the time, and with SETS, Georgetown's classroom educational technology services.
3: We have a really, really wonderful SETS staff member who has just been partnering with us the whole semester, and she's just totally amazing. Um, and, uh, so she trained us on how to use the classroom before the beginning of classes. That was really helpful. And it was also really helpful having Alex there with me because I was thinking about the class on, on one level, which was the level of like, okay, how do I do what I want to do in this classroom? And Alex was thinking about it on another level, which I think was sort of bridging the divide between me, the instructor, and the students. So she was thinking logistically, like, what do I do to troubleshoot this if it's not working? Let me make sure I'm testing out this to make sure I know how to do it. So then on the first day of class, we basically just walked in the room and started, like assumed our separate roles. And I would say Alex is just a huge part of the success of the class so far because she's the person going down the to-do list before the start of every class, making sure everything's in place.
1: We definitely wanted to know more about the to-do list Alex was using before each class started. She was happy to talk us through it.
2: Make sure the cameras work, make sure the mics work, and right when class starts, make sure everyone can see and hear clearly and get verbal and visual feedback on this, so usually, like when we start class, I'm like, "Can you hear me, okay?" Or I send it in the chat. It's also paying attention to participation overall. If I see a student like disappearing suddenly, I check in and make sure like they're doing all right. So yeah, it, it started off as a real checklist, but now it's it's really mental. So it's the audio, the visual, and also the positioning of the room where the chairs are facing, how they're constructed. And with COVID, it has become a lot harder because we've got the social distancing aspect and also the room is different.
1: Shannon had actually taught in a concurrent hybrid format before the pandemic. So we asked her to share more about how she prepares and designs her coursework with this in mind. She shared how she streamlines the content to place both remote and in-person students on an even playing field.
3: I intentionally decided to refocus on one thing, which was just a really solid foundation in the recent research in learning analytics. So instead of trying to do everything to try to become learning analytics practitioners in the space of three months, what students are doing is just becoming familiar with what people in the field talk about. And I think that works for this program. Something that that graduate students really value is just the opportunity to participate in class. And so to be able to run it as a seminar style class is what I tried to do this semester. So in the same way that I whittled down to the readings and learning analytics, I'm also whittling down the format of class into mainly a discussion focused class.
0: For other professors, the necessities of COVID have sparked their first experiences with concurrent hybrid teaching. Mark Rome, who teaches in the McCourt School of Public Policy and the Government Department in the College, has classes that range from fifteen to one hundred and fifty students. To Mark, hybrid learning presents challenges as well as
4: opportunities. Before the pandemic, if students missed the class, they just they just missed the class. So that was a missed opportunity for the students to learn from me. It's a missed opportunity for me to connect with them. So now I can connect with the students in person if they're able to, or by Zoom if they're not. But I've made it clear to my students that their health and well-being is paramount. And so if they're not feeling well physically, if they're not feeling well emotionally or psychologically, they can Zoom in. That is fine. That is an acceptable option. What's important to me is that they engage in the content in the course, engage with other students. We were also curious how
0: students respond to the concurrent hybrid environment. What kind of questions did they have about this format? Here's Shannon again.
3: So remote students are always really concerned about their ability to participate as well they should be. So first of all there's just the barrier to to entry so the question of like this course says it's in person I'm in Maine or wherever can I take this course? There's a classroom listed, I'm not gonna be there. And so I was surprised. So that's happened every semester is that the student reaching out saying, I'm in California, do you mind? But this semester that was happening as well. And, and, uh, you know, from the faculty side, we're thinking of course, everything's hybrid. Of course we have like maximum flexibility for, you know, every student's situation and where they need to be at any given time.
1: Remote students sometimes wonder whether they'll have the same level or quality of attention as the in-person students. This is a concern Shannon has been working hard to assuage.
3: Another concern that the remote students have voiced to some of my colleagues who I've been talking to is just that they don't want to be out of focus in the class either, that they don't want to feel like there's more attention on their in-person peers um, than on them. And so there's, among some, a concern that by having an in-person, um, if you're a remote student, you might be concerned that it's taking something away from you to refocus some, some resources or some attention onto in-person students. And so for me, going into the semester, that's meant that above all else, I've been trying to prioritize attention, not just you know equity and attention among in-person and remote students, but actually attention to the remote students more so than the in-person students.
0: Mark also uses strategies to make sure the remote students feel included. You know, I'm, I'm starting in a sense of theme.
4: You know, the draw of humans is to the faces in the classroom. I know that. I love that. I mean, when you can actually look at the students in the face, like I'm looking Mimi in the face right now. It's like, you know, she's right here with me. It's important to make the people on Zoom feel like they are part of the classroom also. I am attentive from time to time to look directly into the Zoom camera and talk to it so the students will know that I'm talking to them even if they're not there. I do a lot more cold calling. You know, I try to do by, you know, actually calling on people's names uh, throughout the chat uh, just to say hello. I don't cold call them with questions that are
1: embarrassing. But Tracy, how are you doing today? Faculty may want to try bringing students together across modalities in breakout rooms, combining in-person and remote students. As Mark Rome notes, small group discussion using breakout rooms is uniquely easy in the Zoom environment.
4: Breakout rooms are fantastic. So when I do breakout rooms in my class, we will have a chance for a breakout room in the Zoom, assuming that there are a few students that can do a breakout room. We're also gonna have breakout rooms in the physical classroom so we can have small groups conversations. And then as part of the same experience, I can turn to those in Zoom. What was the outcome of their breakout discussion? I can turn to my students in the class and ask them for their breakout results.
0: It's not easy for faculty to have their eyes in two places. So we asked them how they ease the burden of multitasking. Let's start with Mimi, and then we'll hear from Shannon.
2: I'm not going to lie. It is, it is more work. I like you calling it a cognitive burden. It does require multitasking, looking at multiple screens, facilitating more across platforms right, than you would normally have to. Some of the ways that I manage labor in my classroom is... That I think about like I can put my energy to do that to make it more accessible to students and to allow students to participate and then I'll just take energy from somewhere else does that make sense <laughs> like you have to think about how to manage your labor right and so it can't be self-sacrifice where you do every you know you put all of yourself into it I have to think about like I am not going to spend time doing xyz because I need to be more present in the classroom
3: on the level of seeing each other I had to sacrifice my ability to say, like show slides at all times, because when you're showing slides, all of the remote students faces get very small, both for us in the classroom and for each other. And so if your goal is to facilitate discussion, then what that means is that you have to be ready to, if you're sharing a slide to unshare your slide in order to get people to talk to each other or to think about, do I really need slides for this? Or can we just refer directly to the reading? And then we all have the reading pulled up separately, but we're able to see each other's faces still uh, really large in Zoom in a way that if you, uh, you display slides, then everybody would get very small.
1: Shannon talked about how she planned in advance to manage the concurrent hybrid environment, knowing that her attention would be divided between these two very different things.
3: It's all about space and configuration. Like I've never thought more about the classroom space as a physical space. I mean, even on the level of the typical front of the classroom where, you know, you walk in the door and there's a stage and the podium and the drop down monitor, I've actually moved to the side of the classroom instead of using that space that's set up to be the front of the classroom, just because it enables me to have kind of a more naturalistic interaction with the classroom camera, which is how my remote students will be seeing me and will be seeing their in-person peers, as well as access to some some chalkboards um, that are along the side of the room uh, that we've been trying to experiment with using to see if remote students can see writing or, or figures on the chalkboards.
1: Shannon also mentioned the importance of being explicit about your commitment to supporting remote students, and it can be helpful to engage in-person students as partners in this effort.
3: The very first day of class, I talked about making sure that, you know, remote students are getting what they need to get out of the class. And I think setting that tone for the in-person students meant that now the in-person students are, are kind of partners with me on making sure that that the classroom experience is equitable for everybody too.
0: Another way to use the technology to everyone's advantage and create equity between students in different modalities is to ask them to work together on class notes. They can be together in the online space working on notes, and students who were absent can access student-generated materials from the day.
2: But also, I adopted this in the pandemic, collective class notes. So there is one Google Doc that all my students are on taking notes on, and they share it. And in that way, if one student drops off, if one student can't come, if one student has some kind of Wi-Fi issue, all the notes are there for every student to see, whether they're there for part of the class, all of the class have to miss class because they're ill. Um, And that's how I kind of lower the stakes of things having to be perfect and right for everybody. No
1: matter what, surprises will occur and not everything will be perfect. Here are Mimi and Mark reflecting
2: on some of those moments. Um, so hybrid allows them to kind of figure out how to best engage in a way that meets their needs at the time. And for me, teaching display studies, it's really about access, creating access in the class where everyone can, can participate with the least amount of obstacles. So I just taught Zoom right this week, since we're not in person yet. Um, and one thing that went wrong was my screen wouldn't share. Sometimes Zoom is just cranky and doesn't do the things that you want it to do. So I just dropped a link into Zoom and all the students could open it up themselves, like the document that we're all looking at. And in the classroom, that's also possible. Like if I can't project, if I can't share something, I will, because I have my laptop or my phone, quickly email the students, like, here's a thing you can look at together. I make my syllabus fully cloud-based. So like all my readings are like linked, you can click on it and go to, you know, a cloud-based document to read it. I create cloud-based documents. So it's really easy to quickly send a Google doc to the students so they can see something if I'm not able to show it to them on the screen.
4: Yeah, I guess one problem that that I've had is that, you know, sometimes the audio can be tricky. Sometimes I have my students actually have their Zooms open in the class so they can participate in polling, for example. You know, since I'm teaching a large class, I have one teaching assistant, you know, monitor the chat. Uh, try to solve tech issues when you, you get feedback. I've had the problem with my phone on. You know, I forget to mute my phone, and and so you get the feedback issues. And I ask my students because you know they often have suggestions about how to solve tech
2: problems. I will revoice things, which is actually a pretty common access hack in disability justice circles. So. If there's not you know, amplified sound, sometimes like at conferences or at events, the person who does have the amplified sound can just revoice what somebody else says. It may seem cumbersome, but um, it actually can slow down the conversation in really nice ways as well.
0: Lastly, we wanted to know if they had any advice or suggestions for faculty or students who are considering this format. Here's Shannon.
3: Your students are are very kind and they want to be supportive of you and they want you to do a good job obviously. And so um, letting them know how they can help you maybe just by them being aware that they're your guinea pigs this semester might be helpful to sort of what they show up with to the class and also saying that you wanna keep the lines of communication open and then actively or proactively keeping the lines of communication open with your students with that framing of, this is my first semester doing this, how's it going?
0: Shannon thinks about teaching as a social activity, where the experiences from different students are assets to be shared and learned from.
3: Alex and I are both sociolinguists. And so for us, we understand teaching and learning as an inherently social experience. And given that what we're doing is all social, how do we take advantage of that and and do that better? And yeah, it's by harnessing the social element of it. I position the student as the expert on their own experience, both explicitly by saying that, and also just in everything that I do, I try to adopt the vantage point of like, I'm going to try to put myself in my students' shoes, but I'm never going to make assumptions or try to speak for a student or have my perception of their experience overrule their perception of their experience. So. My students are just aware of that, so they feel totally invited to speak to their experience of the class and know that that's something that I'm gonna take really seriously.
0: In the end, we heard a major theme throughout the conversation. Leaning into the social aspects of teaching and learning, whether partnering with a TA or a co-instructor or co-creating with students and getting their feedback, makes the experience more enriching for everyone involved. And that transcends modalities. Whether you are in-person, Remote or concurrent hybrid, connecting with students and taking the technological and pedagogical steps in order to do so remains our paramount
1: job. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of What We're Learning About Learning. This episode was made possible by many people at Candles, including Molly Chihawk, Megan Modaferi, David Ebenbach, Ellery Syverson, and Stephanie Che. Big thanks to Mimi Cook, Mark Rome, Shannon Mooney, and Alexandra Chuganova for sharing their insights and experiences with us. Thanks also to Milo Stout for creating original music for the podcast. For more information about our podcast series and our guests, check out our show notes where you'll find links to previous episodes, information about how to share your thoughts and ideas with us, our website and blog, and other resources. Again, I'm Kim Heisman-Lubreski.
0: And I'm Joe King. Thanks for listening.